does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It's only February 7th, but boy, we're going to blink twice and Selection Sunday is going to be upon us. The outlook for the Indiana Hoosiers on Selection Sunday has continued to rise over the last three or four weeks, though not necessarily an immediate impact after their win over Purdue. Our next guest, one of the best at breaking down all things brackets, he is Jerry Palm of CBS Sports. Jerry, how are you doing today? I'm all right. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for making the time for us and, and leading off uh, with that, what I teased at the top, Indiana at this point in time. they, they At one point, and I don't remember if you had it in yours or not, but at one point during that losing streak when they lost Race Thompson and Xavier Johnson, they were either near the first four out or they were off the board in some cases about a month ago. Now I believe you have, if I'm not mistaken, on your most updated bracket as a five seed. Uh, any initial reaction growth from that Purdue win? And if not, where has the ship kind of stabilized for Indiana over the last four weeks? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, beating the number one team is, is good for your resume. Right. And, you know, Indiana, you know, did a fair amount of damage to itself with that midseason slump. Um, the, getting healthy, obviously, is going to help. Uh, but, you know, it's funny, The what I remember is Northwestern winning at IU. Yep. And after the game, Mike Woodson came out and basically called his team soft without using that word. And uh, they have responded. And in particular, Trace Jackson Davis has responded. Uh, he's playing at the level we all thought he could. Uh, and, and not that he's had, you know, a bad year in any stretch, but he's really stepped it up. Um, recently, and they're riding him. And, uh, you know, he looks every bit like an All-American. Um, is, is having a great run, and the, and the team is getting better. Uh, the, they still need quality wins to move up the ladder. And so the reason that I have them at a five right now and not a little bit higher is they're below 500 against teams in the first two quadrants, which is the, the better teams. That they've played, they're six and seven against that group, and this is my thirtieth year of doing brackets, and only two teams in thirty years have gotten a top four seed below five hundred against that group of teams. Mm. So, you know, but there's plenty of opportunities. They're in the Big Ten; it's a good league. Lots of chances to improve the resume if they continue to play in the form that they're in. You know, the ceiling might even be a, a two. Wow, Jerry, good to talk to you, Scott Long, and um, so Purdue fans are like, how did this impact us? You know, we know that we're still number one in the polls, but what's most important, of course, is the the numbers. Where does Purdue sit now? Are they still a number one seed? Are they still the number one seed in the country? Where do you have them? Yeah, um, the polls, by the way, have no bearing on yes. brackets. You know, the committee doesn't look at that. It doesn't matter. Um, uh, Purdue is still the overall number one seed. They had a cushion going into that Indiana game after Alabama lost to Oklahoma. Purdue had a cushion where, you know, they could lose and still be the overall number one. And that might even still be true, although now it's not the guarantee it was before the loss to Indiana. Now it would depend on who Purdue lost to, 
uh, maybe whatever Alabama, Texas, and Kansas, the, the primary chasers are doing. Um, but Purdue could, you know, still end up the overall number one, you know, five weeks from now with two or three more losses. Now, uh, I know Alabama's in it. I'm guessing Kansas, the uh, big win last night. Uh, best bet on the show, uh, Jimmy. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. We were both there. Texas was, I'm right with them, right with them. And uh, they fell out. I know it's in Lawrence, Kansas. Did they fall out of the number one seed, Texas, down to the second line? Where do you see it right now? I still have them on the first line. The, the thing about the Big 12 teams, but especially the ones that are you know doing really well, is they are stacking quadrant one wins. And almost all of those wins are coming against teams that are going to be in the NCAA tournament. And that's actually more important than just having quadrant one wins because not all quadrant one wins are the same. So you can have a quad one win, and that's a team that's probably going to the NIT. doesn't mean as much as beating a quad two team that's going to the NCAA tournament. So that's um, a distinction that a lot of people don't make, but beating other tournament teams is important. And those big 12 teams are doing that every time out. So, you know, they can take five losses and still be better viewed than a team like Tennessee who's got fewer losses or Arizona who's got fewer losses because of the strength of their schedules and just the high number of quality wins that they're picking up as they go through their season. Now, I can't imagine trying to be uh, put people in a bracket, put teams in a bracket, if you're looking at the Big Ten currently and you've got Rutgers down to Wisconsin – uh, it, it's just kind of insane. I've never seen a conference where there's like three games between almost everybody but Purdue, Nebraska, and um, uh, Minnesota. So, like, is there – like, Ohio State right now has great numbers when you look at the computer rankings, but their record is – Below 500, I believe now. Yeah, yeah they're 11 and 12. Yeah, so yeah. Wh- where are they at? I'm like curious about that because obviously they have a lot of talent. They've lost a lot of close games, but they're at a, I would think, a crisis stage, no matter if they're sitting 35 in Ken Palm or something of that nature. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, if all you have is metrics, you have nothing. Uh, they're oh. not that important to the selection and seeding process. They're, they're not. You know, it's not really – they don't use the metrics to make decisions. You wouldn't need a committee if all you were going to do was take a bunch of metrics and make decisions. They have a five-day meeting because they look at everybody's full schedule and results, and it takes a while to do that. Um, so you know, the Michigan last year was three games above 500, got an at-large bid. Um, they, in fact, were not one of the last four in because uh, they didn't have to go through the play-in games. But – they're the first team since 1999 to get an at-large bid that wasn't at least four games above 500. So Ohio State's one game below. So they got to win four in a row just to get to the three games above mark that Michigan was at last year. That they are not playing like they're capable of that at the moment. But it could, you know, the switch could go on at any time. And they're playing Big Ten teams, so every win, the most every win is going to help. But you're right, the Big Ten is. You know, it's Purdue with an 11-car pileup behind them. And it, it, that that's the conference standings. But the conference standings also don't mean anything to the committee because they judge you on your entire season, not just your conference season. So your conference record, uh, what place you are in the conference, does not even show up on their team sheets. They don't care. So 
but it, it is interesting to watch if you're a, if you're a fan of eleven car pileups. You know, every Big Ten game is a, is a matchup between a relative, relatively even team, and they're like that in my bracket too. The teams that are in, you know, you've got Illinois and Indiana are a little bit higher, and then you got like Rutgers down to say maybe Michigan State or Northwestern. And they're all like in the seven to ten, maybe eleven range. You know, they're all piled up in the in the middle of the bracket. And there's actually three conferences that are like that. The Big Twelve is piled up at the top, and the Big Ten's piled up in the middle, and the ACC is piled up at the bottom half of the bracket. They've got like five teams seated eight and below in in uh, from that league, uh, which is having another really down year. Jerry Palm of CBS Sports, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com for your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, service equipment, and so much more. They have you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. Jerry, you referenced the fact that it is a committee and it's over a number of days when they make these decisions. In terms of as they fine-tune things over the last couple of years and putting a different emphasis on uh, the, the different metrics that are there, but also, as you mentioned, just the overall consensus of who goes where is does net carry the most weight i know it's a collective no, of everything but what does if anything if not net the, the metrics don't carry much weight at all okay. and that includes the net which is new as of 2019 uh, and then they tweak it again the next year to take out some categories that were part of the net that were stupid didn't never belong in there um so it, it's just they they wanted to get rid of the rpi which wasn't right. very sophisticated and um, it's funny, you know, I went to a meeting when they first started talking about that. There was a bunch of us guys, uh, numbers guys there. And, um, you know, they, Ken Palm, Ken Pomeroy said, you know, you shouldn't use uh, my rankings because I'm not measuring what you're trying to reward. And then they created the net, which is about as close as you can get to Ken Palm without using his formula. So... <laughs> Is there no, like a but, fight? Do you like, uh, I mean, like no. you guys get fisticuffs where like, what, what are you using? Pomeroy's, you know, it's, and then a lot of respect among that group of people. Is um, there, I mean, yeah. who, come on, give it, give, you and Lenardi started right around the same time. Is that correct? We did. Yeah. Back in the mid, uh, early nineties. Yeah. About a year apart. I think he did a bracket one year before I did. My first one was 94. Yeah, and you were like, are you? You were at Purdue at the time, or what were you doing? No, gosh, I'm no I'm older than that. Um, I was trying to get. I, you. I uh, no, I I, uh, I graduated from Purdue in '85. Right. So I'd been out for a while, and I I worked uh, as a computer guy. My degree's computer science. Shocking for lawyers, for lawyers and bankers. <laughs> before I I gave that up, and or it gave me up actually, and I uh, um I started doing this full time in 2002, but I I was doing it part time in '94. Uh, the first time. So, yeah, it's a weird story. But for 10 to 15 years, it was just me and Joe. And then pretty soon, everybody's got a computer and too much time on their hands. And uh, and now there's like hundreds of people doing brackets. Jerry, I mean, with the Purdue background, do IU fans believe that you put all the numbers in except for IU, and then you have like two extra ones that are negative. Have they accused you of uh, discrepancies that they don't even understand your ranking system? Has has that ever happened? Well, I I get – it's funny. I just tweeted something yesterday about this. The thing that amuses me most about this job is that fans of a team, not necessarily IU, but any team, you know, things vary from – week to week as to who's mad at me. But fans of a team who, by definition, are biased, 
accuse me of being biased against their team because I don't agree with how awesome their team is. And, you know, that's it, – it doesn't have to be both, you know. It's not you – know, disagreement can just be disagreement. It doesn't have to be bias. But I don't care about your team. In fact, I, I even said I hate your team, but I hate all teams. So don't feel bad. In fact, sometimes I even hate my own team. So – you know, that's that's just how it goes. So I don't hear from IU fans more than I hear from anybody else. But my bias, I have to set aside my biases when I do brackets because I'm trying to do the job right. So, you know, trying to put Purdue higher in the bracket isn't going to make the committee put Purdue higher in the bracket. I'm trying to predict what they're going to do, not, you know, influence what they're going to do because they don't care what I think. So, and the same is true for Indiana or whoever, you know, but, uh, but actually – Another thing that amuses me is that about once a year, somebody will accuse me of being an IU homer, which which is especially funny. They've lost the plot somewhere there, I think. (laughs) Did you not look at my Twitter profile? Really? Jerry Palm, nice enough to take some time with us. So for... I guess let's go seed or let's go uh, first four in, last four out, and in terms of that process, when you're looking at the back half of the year and factoring in conference championships how much if at all does does that move move your needle slash how much have you seen it moved by the committee uh, once they release their results on selection sunday well winning the conference by itself obviously that gets you in right if you win the tournament well it it, it is meaningful because i mean really it's the only part of your conference performance the committee cares about because they have to know who the automatic qualifier is so that's it, though. I mean, you know, like Purdue goes out this year and wins a regular season championship. That's great. Doesn't get them the automatic bid. They're not going to need it, probably. But, um, you know, that's, you know, Purdue fans will love that. We all love the regular season title in the Big Ten. And then they get upset in the conference tournament. It means someone else is the automatic qualifier. But it's not going to really negatively impact Purdue that much other than they have another loss on their resume. So, you know, the, the conference tournament games aren't especially meaningful to the committee. Um, nobody cares how far you go in your conference tournament, but they do care who you play to get how far you go and then who ultimately beats you if you get beaten. So, um, and then the other thing about conference tournaments is for the most part, they're neutral site games. So you're picking up a little bit better win beating someone on a neutral site than if you're beating them on your home court. At this point, let's just say for the sake of argument, I know I'm having you simulate on the fly here, but if Purdue wins out the rest of the way, but they lose, let's not even say the championship game, they're losing the semifinals of the Big Ten. At that that point in the season, one more time, I'm sorry, go ahead. If they win the rest of their regular season games, Entering the conference tournament, Purdue will be the overall number one seed. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how they do it. That was my question. Okay, I can't imagine okay. too many scenarios where that doesn't happen. Okay, because only one team can be the Big Twelve champion. Right, that team's going to have probably seven losses because they're going to beat each other up. I guess if Alabama makes a serious run, but they're going through a weaker SEC, so I don't know who catches Purdue. If they win these last, is it eight? I think regular I season so, games. Yeah. yeah, and then you know they've got, um, you know, a loss to almost anybody because you know the way the Big Ten tournament set up, they're not going to get a bad team in their first game. <laughs> right, right. So it's not like they're going to lose to Minnesota in their first game. So yeah, it's I don't see how Purdue's not the overall number one in that scenario. 
It's an interesting thing I was looking at the Big Ten teams, and Iowa is unique in that they have really a good resume, except they lost to easily the worst team any buddy has lost to this year that will probably be in March Madness that's a power five. They lost, I believe, to Eastern Illinois. Is that? Yeah, that'll be, that'll be the worst loss any ever. Yes. Anybody in the at-large portion of the bracket has. Right. No and, question. And it, you know, you're saying in the, the rankings, the computer rankings, that really damages them. Does a committee look at that and go, well, Chris Murray wasn't playing, Connor McCaffrey wasn't playing. Is uh, that what happened? Yes. Well, then that's, that's not – I mean, they'll look at that game and, look, losses are losses. Right. They don't pretend it didn't happen. They don't pretend you would have won. Everybody played. It's still a loss. But there is a little bit of consideration given for um, that sort of thing, for injuries and, and other absences. And the committee knows all of that. I mean, they, they actually ask for that information. So they'll know all about you know the guys who missed practice leading up to a game. They'll know all about the guys who missed games. They'll know all about your travel problems. Uh, like Purdue had travel problems. Uh, coming back from Portland and then going down to Florida State, and they got in at like five in the morning in each of those trips and were lackluster against Florida State, but they managed to win. So you know, it's they'll know about all of that stuff. How much consideration that gets, it's hard to say because pretty much everybody has problems, right? So you know, it's but when it comes to things like injuries and stuff, they, they they'll put a little bit more weight. Little the operative word here. Um, on how a team performed with the roster is taking to the tournament as opposed to otherwise. But you may not notice what consideration they've been given. That's how little consideration there is. Like a team might be one seed line adjusted, maybe. But you might not notice it because it's only one seed line. So um, it's, it's, it's a thing, but it's not, you know, they're not going to ignore your game just because you weren't at full strength. Just think of how many games they'd have to ignore if you ignored every game where somebody wasn't at full strength. Jerry, last question on my end. When you look at teams that you have on the bubble right now, uh, I'm just going to throw a couple out there. Kentucky, Michigan State, North Carolina, USC, Auburn. Which of those teams over the next eight, seven games, whatever's left for them on their schedule, has the most room in your mind for growth to to squeak in here? Hmm. I would say Michigan State and um, from the Big 12, like Oklahoma State and West Virginia. And it's because of, and I'll also say Auburn, because I think Auburn still has home and home with Alabama and another game with Tennessee. So it's because of the opportunities ahead of them. And then, you know, are they up to those opportunities? We'll see. But you have so much of a chance to move up because of the teams that are left on your schedule. And the, for the most part, like the ACC teams, most of the SEC teams, um, that's not really um, – the, the opportunities aren't as numerous. Well, Jerry, this has been, as always, super informative. I, I always appreciate your time. It's always good to get a feel for where things are at as we're in the home stretch. I know it's getting close to a very busy time of year for you, but we appreciate you taking the time with us today. Sure. Thanks. Anytime. Thanks, Jerry. That's Jerry Palm of CBS Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Palm CBS. Does a great job kind of 
putting things in perspective of what to anticipate for either your favorite team or if you're just a fan of college basketball, kind of get a taste of where things are at with about a month or so to go in the season. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Oh, we are back on the guest line. This is the guest that I wanted most when they told me I could come in. This is my NFL guru, uh, the person I listen to, I have learned more from, on our guest line, from the Mower Shop and Fishers, MowerShop.com, from VEASAN and everywhere else, including the Gridiron Genius podcast, Michael Lombardi. Uh, I wish we had time to do Sopranos information, because <laughs> this is the guy who knows more about the Sopranos and the NFL than anybody I know mm. There's so many people, Michael, in this city who don't know what's going on. Some people would say it's even the owner. And I would say, let's get a voice from the outside. So when you look at the, you know, the explosion, the devastation which happened in this season and where the Colts' ruins lie, what first jumps out at you? You know, I I think... The, what jumps out at me is they went from being a team that had great physicality and toughness to a team that lost it somewhere along the way. And I don't know why. You know, and I think often when you make a couple mistakes internally within your organization, like Frank did, recommending Phillip Rivers, that really didn't work out. You know, recommending Carson Wentz, that didn't work out. And then coming down the road with Matt Ryan, you kind of lose your fastball a little bit. You're hesitant. And I think that 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 team lost their identity somewhere along the way. I mean, from the time that Frank got there, the offensive line was the strength, and when he left, it wasn't. And so what happened? You know, they put a lot of resources and money into that position. It didn't pan out. Jonathan Taylor didn't play his best, got injured. And even though they were good on defense, their inability to find an identity offensively, which is what we all thought they would be, never happened. Michael Lombardi on with us, and – as I looked at it, it really made a lot of times, I think, was the most underrated cult of the last decade, Anthony Costanzo, because yeah. the line disappeared. All of a sudden, Quentin Nelson went from, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer as an offensive guard, $20 million contract, to really, a, at times, a very below pass blocker. Can you win with a great guard, a good center, and not have a, at least a decent left tackle? Because I'm thinking you can't. You know, I think, I think look, it is a very difficult position. And it's, 
you know, the guy who coaches the position coaches five players, and all of them have to play at a high level. They're like golfers. They have to work the technique, work the fundamentals every single day. I think when they lost Gooch, when Frank decided to change from Dave, what we call him Gooch, who was there when before McDaniels got in, that line played well for Gooch. You know, he got Smith at right tackle to play well. He got all those guys. He had some toughness to him. And I think over time, they lost a little bit of that. They can get it back. You know, it's, it's who's going to be the line coach? I think that's the, one of the most critical coaches in the league. You know, when you look at Philadelphia, all the changes Philly's made as they enter into the Super Bowl, their line coach, when they went from Doug Peterson to Nick Sirianni, that line coach stayed the same. He wasn't leaving. You'd, nobody could touch him. Carolina, when Frank walks into Carolina, he, he couldn't get rid of James Campen because Campen's that good of a line coach. And so that's really a critical – it's like the pitching coach in baseball. If you don't have a great one there, it's going to be hard to overcome. And you see it. I mean, as great as, as head coach as Belichick is, his offensive line play this year was well below the standard of excellence that they're used to having. And that cost them for all the bad decisions in terms of play, who's calling plays, who's not. Their line was the malfeasance of what they did, and I think that's ultimately why they lost. And I think it's one of the reasons why the Colts lost. Now, you mentioned that, and the Colts look to be the last team that will be hiring a coach. It looks like Arizona is on the brink. There doesn't seem to be any brink here. There's third and maybe a fourth interview. Uh, Does that impact who the coaches they can get? Because they're 32nd going out there taking the scraps. That's been one of my concerns about not jumping in a little sooner and finding your guy. Well, I don't know if they're in competition with anybody. Who are they going to lose? I mean, the three guys that they, they seem to be the finalists, and I don't know who they are. I mean, you know, I've heard Wink Martindale. I heard Shane Steichen. You know, you know, I don't know if Saturday in the Park is still in play. I heard he wasn't, <laughs> but certainly he could be. You know, but I think ultimately, who are they competing against? I mean, it's more important to get it right. You know, there's an old saying, you know, I'm lost but making great time. I mean, you don't want to do that, right? You want to be able to get it right. And if you listen to everybody, I mean, Henry Ford has this great line. He said, if I'd have listened to everybody and what they wanted, they w- I would have had to give them a faster horse. Like, what people want and what they need are often two different things, and you've got to make sure that you handle that. And I think ultimately, you know, taking your time on something so important is critical. I, I guess my point was, if you take your time, that's fine. There's nobody else that's going to get hired from their pool. But what about those assistant coaches? Where are you going to find a quality offensive line coach? Where are you going to find maybe the next offensive coordinator if you hire Wink Martindale or if you hire uh, Raheem Morris? You know, I think I think a lot of that is – see, I think one of the misconceptions about putting together a staff is is you got to hire somebody who's the head coach, who's going to be the head coach, who's going to be able to say, here's our personality offensively. Not tell you what plays we're going to run, but here's the style and manner of which we're going to compete on. When Belichick walked into Cleveland in 1991, he handed me a piece of paper. On that piece of paper was who the Cleveland Browns were offensively, defensively, and in the kicking game. We didn't have Nick Saban on the staff. He didn't show up till three weeks later. But that philosophy was implemented. And so because of that, we built a team around that. And then the plays felt the players that we had. I think that's really what ultimately what we do. We've gotten caught up with who's going to call plays, what offense are we going to run. And it really should be what's the philosophy. That comes from the owner. I mean, think about the Eagles, right? 
they draft Jalen Hurts. The guy gets benched in a, in, in, in a, in a national championship game because he can't throw the ball. He goes into the third round. He's very inaccurate. He doesn't have great timing. And the Eagles eventually developed a system of offense around him and what I call the six-back attack. And because of that, they're now he looks like he's going to make over $40 million a year, and he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league. And they kind of fell into it, but really they didn't because they built a team around him that fits his skill set. I think that's ultimately what the Colts have to do as well. Our guest is Michael Lombardi, um, the author of the book, I believe the best book, if you want to understand football, The Gridiron Genius. Michael worked with Al Davis. He worked with Bill Walsh. He worked with Bill Belichick. I mean, you cannot get a better resume than that when you were trying to understand it, it football. Would be better, it would be better if I worked for if I worked for David Chase. I think it would be better. I think yeah. that would be the cherry on top of the yeah. cake if it, I could work with the guy who created the Sopranos. That was the better guy. <laughs> I know that or you were in the E Street Band. If I feel like yeah, if oh, you no, had... That's right. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I've been on... I've, I, I play in the E Street Band. I just don't have an instrument. I just yes. have a great great air piano and a great air guitar yeah about half the people in new jersey driving down the uh, the parkway that that's what's going on there now you talk about um uh, i know you know wink martindale and uh it's kind of a joke among other people maybe it's because of his name or they think oh a defense coordinator can't coach young quarterbacks because that's what's going to happen here they're going to take one of the quarterbacks how would you push back on that? Because I know you know, Wink, you've been uh, an advocate. I'm not, I don't know if you're the, the believer that this is the perfect job for him. This is not a perfect job, I don't think, for anyone. There's a reason why this has been another of the last picks. How would you be uh, promoting the candidacy of Wink Martindale? Well, I think the Colts need toughness. And I think if you just look down the road in Nashville, Mike Vrabel's team isn't, isn't very talented. And his team has toughness. This whole notion that defensive coaches can't develop offense is kind of a crock. You know, some of the greatest coaches in the history of the game, Chuck Knoll was a defensive coordinator. You know, Don Shula was on offense. I mean, it really, Bill Walsh coached the secondary at the Oakland, at the Cal Berkeley. I mean, there's an essence of understanding offensive football and coaching the quarterback. There's very few people on planet Earth that can coach the quarterback and evaluate the quarterback. Andy Reid happens to be one of them, and he does a great job, but they're few and far between. But if you hired Wink Martindale or a defensive coach, he's got to be able to have the ability to build an offense around the strength of the quarterback. And you've got to ask this one fundamental question. What does this guy do really well? They asked Sean Payton at his press conference yesterday, and he said, we're going to do what the players do well. Simple, but smart, right? And he's an offensive coach. That's really what's going to happen. And so you build an offense around him, and you try to manage the game around the quarterback's strengths and weaknesses. And when you get a head coach who can see that from 35,000 feet, you'll have a better team. We're so caught up in these guys that are looking at their play sheets, they can't figure it out. I mean, Zach Taylor loses the game against Kansas City because he punts the ball down the middle of the field. He doesn't even know what the special teams are doing. And so Sly Moore returns at 29 yards, the longest return of, of the Chiefs in the season at the most opportune time, and they lose that game. Is that what we want? Michael, when you look at this Colts job, what is the most attractive aspect of it for uh, the next head coach that's going to roll up in here? 
I think it's the history of the team. Look, I think that, you know, you go back to Baltimore, you go back to Gino Marchetti, you go back to all the great players, the great Lenny Moore, Johnny United, and then you come to Peyton Manning and all these great players. They wear that uniform. That's what matters. The Ohio State-Michigan game in the year 2025 is going to be sold out, and the kids that play in that game aren't even born yet. Why? Because everybody goes to watch the uniform. When you can work for a historic franchise with great pride and unbelievable history, that's a great job. And you've got to understand the owner. You've got to understand what he's about, what he wants. And you've got to be direct with him. And you've got to have enough gumption and you've got to have enough guts to stand in front of him and say, Mr. Ursay, what do you want this football team to look like? Tell me what you want. And then we're going to go build it that way. But And you've got to stand with it and understand it. I, I think, look, there's 32 of these jobs. They're harder to get to the United States senator. You can't be sitting there pick, to turning your nose up to them. All of them come with problems. I mean, they don't give away houses in Beverly Hills, right? You're going to have to earn it. You got to fix it. Uh, I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about where your head is at on the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm a big believer in your thought process that offensive lines travel. Of course, the Eagles, that's their real strength. Have you come to any decisions yet on where you visualize basically a pick 'em game? You know, I, I, I am. You know, what's interesting about this game, Scott, is is that both teams are horrible in the kicking game. I mean, both teams ranked. The, if you look at Rick Goslin, the Dallas Morning News writer for years, who puts out a special team report every season that all the special team coaches uh, look at, the Eagles are the 32nd worst. The Chiefs are the 32nd worst special teams in the league, and the Eagles are 31st. And both kickers have been kind of somewhat unreliable at times. And I think the game comes down to that. So I think it's a close game. I think ultimately where I favor the Eagles in this game is because I think the Eagles' defensive line will give the Chiefs' offensive line problems. Why do I think that? If you go back to Tennessee, when Tennessee went into Kansas City off of Kansas City's bye week, they went in there, and with Malik Willis at quarterback, they got one first down with five minutes to go in the second quarter. For the remainder of the game, they got one first down. And that game went to overtime. And Mahomes had a scramble, two runs, 120-114, to put the game into overtime, and then they won it. That defensive front caused Kansas City some problems. And then when you watch the four Bengal games, their front caused them problems. Close game, Mahomes can overcome it. But I just think the Eagles' front is a little better than the Chiefs' offensive line. I really appreciate it. That was uh, Michael Lombardi, the busiest man in the next few days. Uh, I cannot uh, tell you more highly that you've got to pick up Gridiron Genius. I know you've got another book that's coming out. When is that book coming out? It's, it's called Football Done Right. So it's really about why I think the Hall of Fame needs to have levels in it. Because Deion Sanders, when he said, look, my gold jacket's different than Tommy McDonald's gold jacket, he's right. He's completely right. So it's I rank the top 100 players of all time in the NFL, and I basically go through football and the coaching trees, what I call the white oaks, of how we got this game to where we are and how trades are made and the impact of television. So it's called Football Done Right. It'll be on bookshelves right at the Hall of Fame game uh, this August. Well, thanks again, Michael. And um, I can't imagine how busy your life's going to be the next few days. Thanks for finding some time for us. Yeah, my life was only busy when I was on my uncle's trash truck. This is easy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that was Michael Lombardi, our uh, guest on the uh, Mower Shop in Fishers, MowerShop.com for all your snowblowers, commercials, residential mowers. Coming up next, Mike Chapel. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Football, football, football. We leave the national conversation, at least for a moment, with our next guest, and that is the Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 59 and CBS 4, as the Colts head coaching hire continues to roll through in terms of their process. Chap, at this point, are people stopping you on the street? Are they are they, are they begging you like some dramatic scene in a movie, grabbing onto your jacket, just, who, who's next? Who's the front runner, Chap? Is that where we're at? Have we reached that point yet? I, 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 I was pumping gas the other day here in Beach Grove, and they think I know everything. And, and they, yeah, they want to know. People want to know. I understand that. I do. Uh, I just kind of... I need to carry around the sign saying, you know, I don't know, you know, and then I'll keep them from coming up to me, but it just shows you the interest. And, you know, I, I just remind everybody that Chris Ballard told us this was probably how it was going to be. He, he mentioned it's going to be thorough. We're going to, you know, look at a wide range of people and it could be mid February and, you know, we're approaching mid February. So does it need to be this long? Probably not. But I'm not surprised that it is. Mike Chappell on with us. This is Scott Long. I just, I have to wonder, uh, they're not going to send Jim Ursay to somebody's house that they're going to uh, choose, right? I mean, that did not go well last time. There's all these stories that came out. Um, that That's so weird. Have you ever heard that the... Uh, you know, Jim Ursay would actually go to a coach's house uh, that he was hiring. I, I don't. I, I don't know. Unusual. Maybe it's unusual. I. I'm not putting a ton of, you know, truth in what was said because no one's really named. It was the old sources or someone said. So I don't know what happened. But I. I it, w- it wouldn't surprise me that Jim Ursay would do that just to have one last talk to the guy and his family. But, you know, what they've done here with this second round of interviews is he's been involved one-on-one with these guys. Uh, some of his family has been involved with his daughters, Chris Ballard and, and his staff. So you, you, you're you're doing all of your due diligence because you've got to get it right. You just – you can't be firing and hiring coaches every couple of years because you messed up the last one. I'm not saying they messed up Frank. I'm, I'm one of those guys in a camp – Frank wasn't a bad hire. He wasn't. Uh, it's just that when they failed to stabilize a quarterback situation, nobody's going to succeed. So that, that's why I've said, and I'll keep saying, that as important as the head coach is, quarterback is more important. They've got to they've got to hit a real home run in April, or I don't care who they hire uh, in 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 the next week. It's not it's not really going to matter because everything hinges on the quarterback and. So, you know, they've got to get it right. They're being diligent. They're being overboard. I don't know. It, it, it's while, while all of us are clamoring for an answer, the media, the fan base, another week's not going to matter other than, you know, may, maybe the guy you want or one of the guys you want goes to Arizona, which they seem to be a mess right now themselves. And waiting this long, you might lose an assistant coach or two, maybe. But – it's organizationally and in the operation is not going to matter another week 
the, the longer it goes, the lo- now we're going quite a bit longer. I just think, to me, it all points to the Philly coordinator. You know, you can't hire the guy until after the Super Bowl. So it, it that makes sense to me. I'm probably reading a little bit more into it. But if they, if they wanted to hire one of the, these other guys, Callahan or Raheem Morris or somebody, they, they could do it today. They just could. I know the NFL would frown on that with the Super Bowl going on, but if I'm the Colts, I'm more interested in, in my operation as opposed to what the league wants. But, you know, by this time next week, I really believe they'll have a head coach and we'll, and we'll all sort of forget the fact that it took a month plus to do it. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Mike Chappell joining us via the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and themotorshop.com. Chap, you referenced this report from SI.com in your most recent uh, article on fox59.com about the Colts blocking defensive coordinator Gus Bradley. Uh, one of your uh, colleagues in the media, Zach Kiefer, had referenced um, regarding that same concept that Albert Breard had that on his uh, Monday morning quarterback column. Have you heard the same rumblings that that is because not only the Colts value Gus Bradley, but that some coaches or some candidates rather have indicated they would be open to retaining him as their DC? I haven't heard that personally, okay. so okay. I'm going by what sure. Albert and Zach and, and he, social media. I've always I've learned to be careful on who I trust, who I don't trust. Right, that's why I phrased it that way. I didn't want to put you in a spot. There's there's four or five guys when they report things, citing sources, I believe them. Right, and the rest of them I don't. So I have no reason, and it makes sense to me. If you've got quality coaches and there's a possibility that your new coach is open to, to, to retaining him, and, you know, in this case, let's say they, the new guy wants Gus Bradley, then Gus Bradley's going to want most of his assistance as well. Uh, I remember saying at the end of last year that if whoever the coach was, if he would bring this defense back intact, and fix the offense, and this would be a pretty good team because the defense is pretty good until it simply wore down and got injured and couldn't do much. So it makes sense to me, and I, I realize it leaves assistant coaches in the lurch. You know, uh, Scotty Montgomery gets a chance to go to Detroit, good for him. But by and large, guys that are under contract are simply going to have to wait and see, until this thing plays out to see if the new coach makes a massive change to staffs, which they normally do. Going back and looking, Frank maintained two guys from Chuck Pagano's staff. So you, you just want your own guys. That's the way it is. But if a new guy has ties to Gus Bradley or likes Gus's defense, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Mike Chappell on with us. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing to me, and maybe it's crafty with uh, Chris Ballard. If you don't want to have to answer the stress of who's going to be the quarterback, the next draft pick, who are you going to keep and who you're not when it comes to free agents or drive? Everybody's just talking about the coach. 
and I haven't heard anything lately about who are the Colts planning on keeping, who are they going to re-sign. Have you heard anything in the last two or three weeks on players that the Colts are going to have to make a decision on that you think one way or the other? Well, it's the offseason is all about dominoes and which, which step is next. And the first step is the quarterback. You know, free agency is another month yeah. off. So, you know, you have time. And, and they've, had, you know, they, they, they've been evaluating the roster. I mean, they, they can multitask. Right. So, but, but there, will, there will come a time, and I'm sure all through, all through this, uh, this season and up to this point, Chris Bowden and his staff have been also discussing the roster, which are the 27 free agents. Do they, do they want to retain? Do they think they can retain? Because just because you want a guy back doesn't mean you can meet the guys' demand. Some guys are going to want more money than the Colts want to pay. So they'll get to that. I've heard nothing internally uh, about which ones they favor, which I, I know which players they really like just from a player-person standpoint. But, you know, can they afford Yannick Ngakwe? You know, can they give Paris Campbell enough to stay here as opposed to testing the market? So that time will come. You know, the first order of business is is the coach. And, and then they, they'll really dive more into aligning their free agent plan. But first things first, you want to get the coach in place so that he can evaluate the roster, which players – he, he he likes which players that in his scheme may not fit. So there's all these steps to go, and right now we're in step one. Chap, I know you followed this as close as anybody in terms of the interview process and the Colts ultimately, you know, interviewing a wide variety of candidates trying to get it right this time. So I'm reading tea leaves here. I don't want you to read tea leaves. I want you to just right. clarify for me if it, it, what the latest is on this front, and that is yesterday during uh, Super Bowl media night. Uh, they asked Eric Bieniemy, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, there was asked about uh, if he'd been re- interviewed for any OC positions, and he said no. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but he said, "Right now, I've interviewed with Indianapolis Colts. I thought it went great. We'll see where that goes." I have not seen his name in terms of you know others on the beat that have tweeted out finalists or tweeted out potential names. Is there any clarity on your end of where Bieniemy stands in this process, or is he uh, no longer in the running? Well, other than he, he did not, by, by all accounts, he did not get a second interview. Right. Which doesn't necessarily mean things, a certain thing, but to me it would. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're going to not give him one to keep everyone else away from him and then come back and sign and name as, as your coach. <laughs> right. I mean, there, there's a whittling down process for a reason. So I, I, and I would think that if we had a chance to talk to, Every coach who gave a second interview or first interview said, well, you know, I thought that went pretty well, and we'll see what happens. I know Chris Hagan of Fox 59 and CBS4 talked to uh, Shane Steinchen uh, last night in Arizona, mm-hmm. and, and he was sort of sort of he was very noncommittal. You know, my, his focus is on the Super Bowl and all that, which is what you'd expect. So, again, the Colts, what's been amazing to me is how – quiet this week has been. I mean, every week leading up to this, it was, you know, there were, there were leaks about these were the first candidates and these are the guys bringing back for the second round. And oh, by the way, there might be a third round. There's been none of that. And that all comes from agents because the Colts are giving out nothing. I mean, they aren't 
that, that place is the cone of silence out there. So th- th- this tells me that there there probably won't be a third round of interviews. And this is where you just read into what's going on. It just it indicates to me there probably won't be a third round, and that they know who they want. And the fact they haven't hired somebody, you just keep connecting the dots, and you can't hire a coach, either one, either Biennemi or Steichen, until the Super Bowl is over. So we'll see. I, I, if there were if there was going to be a third round of interviews, you would think that would have gotten out that an agent would have put out there that his guy is coming back, right. this guy is coming back. We haven't heard that. The only way for me to interpret that is there won't be a third round, and that can always change. It just, uh, I think people are starting to get the feel that, well, maybe the Colts would have already made a decision if they didn't feel the guy that they wanted is the Eagles' offensive coordinator, which there's no hurry on that. They don't want to hire him before the big game. I guess I think it's really remarkable because whatever, six, seven weeks ago, I guess it's been a little longer. The Eagles come into town. The head coach throws the Colts organization under the bus. What they did to his buddy, Frank Reich, who helped him get to this point. Um, It doesn't seem like that's stuck. I mean, I guess in many ways that speaks well of the Colts, that they're not holding the grudge and, you know, even with the organization. Have you heard anything on that front or is just, okay, that was eight weeks ago. That was a sensitive moment with a guy who was supporting Frank Reich, who I think everyone in the building loves. Even Jim Irsay still is positive about. Has has there been any comment on that? I've not seen anything. And I, I we talked to Nick Sirianni before the game, a few days before the game. And he made he made his his thoughts very clear. Yeah, so kind of kind of by what he didn't say. You guys, you, you know, you guys know how I feel about Frank. But I, it, it's the most. He's not going to stand in the way of one of his assistants getting a job, even with the team that fired his good buddy. That just now, I, I guess maybe you say, listen. You know, just keep your eyes open. You know how they treated Frank, and we can all argue whether or not they treated Frank poorly. Uh, you know, things weren't going well, and I'm not going to go back and revisit whether they should have fired him or not. But no coach, I don't think, is going to say, man, just keep in mind that they really screwed over Frank, so I, I wouldn't go there. I think the most Nick would say is, you know, do your homework, look what happened, and make your own decision. But about the time that a coach tells his assistant not to go somewhere. Maybe that's the only chance that guy gets. Maybe someone else doesn't come back around in a year or two. So, I think I think that was a moment for for Nick to where the emotions really came up, and and he did what he did at the end of the game. I just can't imagine that's got much impact, if at all, on this coaching process because because the Philly OC has got it got to do what's best for the Philly OC. And taking everything into account, I just can't imagine that would have much impact on what's going to happen. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 and CBS 4. Nice enough to take some time with us. Coming to you from the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com. Chap, we talked a little bit about the idea of another or the next head coach retaining Gus Bradley. And I know that everything the Colts are doing right now through this process is very unique in terms of at least it feels that way of it being drawn out a little bit and them trying to get the higher right. So 
maybe it's unprecedented to begin with, but is that commonplace in your mind for them to actually place the block on Gus Bradley when there's not a, a head man already in the building? I was trying to think that there was, I was reading somewhere else where someone tried to, not for the Colts, but somewhere else, another team, and they blocked their guy from making a lateral move. You know, like Scotty Montgomery, this wasn't a lateral move. He's now assistant head coach. You can't block that. So I don't think it's unusual. And again, it's, yes, it's limiting what Bradley can do right now. If, if there was a place he could have gone. Listen, theoretically, if he wanted to go with Frank, Carolina, you know Frank's already got you know Frank's got his guy now, but I I don't know how unprecedented you, you, you teams try to get put together really good staffs they really do, and as we've seen the Colts put together a really good staff and 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 two of Frank's coaches are head coaches and one's in the Super Bowl with Eberfluss and, and Sirianni, so when you believe you have a good coach you keep him until until you don't want to keep him. So to me, it just makes sense that you, that you keep Bradley for another week. And then if the new guy wants Gus, you say, fine, you know, Gus, do you, do you want to say, or, or the, the, they part ways that you, I just don't think you do anything until you have to do it. And right now they don't have to do it. Mike, is there someone, uh, when you're looking at the Super Bowl matchup this week that jumps out at you? I mean, it's all Colts, it's all the Colts, but you know, you're, your experience watching Super Bowls and the Colts and, you know, you've already seen the Chiefs and the Eagles. What, 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 how do you kind of see this game uh, unfolding? Which team can pressure the other quarterback? I mean, that, it's, it's kind of like football one-on-one is you, you've got to get pressure on these guys. And, you know, it, it seems like, you know, go back when, when Mahomes has had bad games, or not real great games. They've really got pressure on him. They've kept him in the pocket. And, and that's the way you do things. So I went back and, you know, Colts fans don't want to hear this, but just think how close this team was to beating both these teams. Yeah. I mean, yes, it took Chris Jones saying sweet something to, to, to Matt Ryan after the sack. <laughs> but it, it also took Jalen Hurts taking that team 11 plays, 70-some yards, with like three minutes to play. And they converted a fourth down play on that drive. So, you know, that's why this is, there is a thin line between really good and really bad or or whatever. And, of course, the Colts were really bad most of the year. But they did show early on what they could do if they took care of business. And, And that's why maybe they're not that far away from being where they need to be if they can get this quarterback situation settled. Uh but but pressure the quarterback. And that's everything. Every game, every season, you know, teams that can pressure have a good chance to win. If you can't pressure, you have no chance, especially against these quarterbacks. You know, Hassan Reddick, Chris Jones. How are they going to do at, at keeping these quarterbacks from doing what they want to do? Because both teams are loaded. I think it's going to be really a a great game. It'll come down to you know turnovers and all that. But pressure the quarterback and give yourself a chance. Chap, it is Super Bowl week. I know you've covered the event a number of times. I want to know if you had a favorite story or, or, or element of that you could share in terms of your favorite moment from or interaction, perhaps, from covering Super Bowls in the past. Probably the 06 when the 
when the Colts were there in South Florida, and we had had so much non-interaction, I guess, with Marvin Harrison because he just didn't talk locally. He just didn't. And the few times you got him, it was brief. He didn't get much. And we were wondering how he was going to be at the Super Bowl. Because, you know, again, Marvin just doesn't come up to the press at all. And he was great. He was, he was you know, engaging. He, he, he gave everybody what they wanted. So probably that time when you wonder what Marvin's going to do because Marvin hardly ever talked. And finally he kind of came out and was what we always wish he would be locally. But, uh, you know, on media day, which, you know, things are, are have gotten so much crazier on media days and, and how they do things. But I was curious how Marvin would do when Marvin hit a home run on media day. That's so cool. Any prediction, Chap, for Sunday? No, I, I think Philly wins. I think they're the more well-rounded team. And I think they've got more of a chance of getting pressure on Mahomes than Kansas City does on, on pressure and hurts. But it should be a great game. should be a great game. I respect the honesty. You broke my heart a little bit, but I respect the honesty. That's my <laughs> chapel. <laughs> Have a great week, Jeff. You too. Thank you.